0: Okay, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm not going to be teaching on every single verse that we're about to read, but I would like to read them to get just a little bit of the context. 1 Timothy 2, will begin at verse 8 and go through verse 15. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing, with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who affirm that they worship the Almighty. A woman should learn in silence with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, Instead, she is to be silent. For Adam was created first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if she continues in faith, love, and holiness with good judgment. May Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. Today, I'm going to cover what I believe to be one more abuse of Galatians 3.28. I've been teaching through the book of Galatians, you guys know, for a while. And I'm going to cover one last message on Galatians 3.28, and that is female leadership in the church. This is a branch off of last week's sermon about husbands and wives. So it is related, but yet it is different because I will specifically deal with the assembly of Yahweh and not just the home as last week we dealt with husbands and wives there are many churches in the world today that have taken galatians 3:28 where it says there is no Jew or Greek slave or free male or female for you are all one in Christ they've taken that verse as a launching pad to have female elders and pastors leading their church and in our day and time, in 2018, people will respond with, What's wrong with that? Are you saying that a woman is not capable of pastoring a church or being an elder? We're at a point now in society where if you express to someone, I'll put me in the hot seat, if I were to express to someone on the street or at a modern day church that women should not be a pastor or elder in a church, and that is what I believe, people would automatically label me as sexist or misogynistic. They would not want to hear anything else I had to say. They would not want to hear any explanation from the Scriptures. They wouldn't respect me as a pastor. They would just say, that man is a male chauvinist. What I've done here next is i put together a clip of a video clip of some of the people-slash-ministers that would be egalitarian in church leadership. Remember, we learned the word egalitarian last week, which is a fancy word that means equality. Egalitarian churches believe that men and women are equal in everything. Complementarian churches, complementarian pastors, which is what I am, believe that men and women are not equal in everything, but that they have different roles and functions that complement one another. So, before we move on, I want you to watch this uh, video clip of some well-known, some not so well-known ministers that take the egalitarian view of women in the church
1: part of the difficulty with the new testament is we don't actually know with a lot of these documents where they were written to but there is some good evidence for suggesting that 1st timothy is written to the church or to somebody who's in ephesus
0: i love to quote a bad translation of 1st Timothy 2.12, that translation says I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, she must be silent. The footnoted translation of the NIV
1: says I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over her husband, she must be quiet. Okay. In Ephesus there is one big temple which you can still see the ruins of today which is the temple of of Diana or Artemis in in Greek. And the thing about the cult of Artemis is that it was a female only cult. It was a female goddess, they had female priestesses. And though there were other, plenty of other religions in Ephesus, it was a great metropolis, this was the big one, the big local civic religion was one in which women were the key leaders.
0: Apostle Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Ooh. God said it. I believe it. That settles it for me. Have a good day. Women, stay quiet.
1: (laughs) Now, what's going to happen when a little group discover Jesus and discover that there's, hey, this whole new thing going on which people are calling the way or following the Messiah or whatever it is, One of the most natural things would be, since men and women are drawn into this, for people to assume locally that the women should take over the leadership. When I started blogging and people started paying attention to stuff that I was writing and doing, um, I very quickly had detractors. And so... People would write stuff about me on their blogs, and uh, they wouldn't use my title, which is Pastor Nadia Boltzweber, because they believe that girls shouldn't be pastors. But the point about quietness and submission, I don't think refers to women being quiet and submissive in relation to men in the congregation. The word quiet is the word for leisure, which comes through as somebody who has time to study was addressing a very specific situation that was going on in the church at, at Ephesus where these women were attempting to seduce the men of the church. And, uh, and you, know, you have to understand, in the, the temple of Diana, women gave themselves to Diana to be voluntary prostitutes for the years of their life. and And their goal was to dominate man. But I think he's saying women have to be given, as the men might not want to give them, the leisure to study submissively submissively in the sense of they've got to learn from God like the rest of us, and that then she must have the leisure to do that. But I'm not saying that the women have got to take over the leadership because Wrong. we're not like the cult of Artemis down the road. I mean, To be clear, there are a million reasons I should not be a pastor, but being a girl is literally not one of them. For most of us, we would read, read our Bibles, we'd read it like the way that I had read yep, it, yep, yep. and understand it in a particular way. Mm-hmm, You've mm-hmm. now just given a completely different
0: understanding to it. So that's just kind of an example of what's going on today in the church world, and some of it amazes me. But we're going to try to be as honest and serious with the Bible as we can be in this lesson. So, first let me explain that I believe in having women in ministry. I love and respect my wife, and my wife helps me out in the ministry. Just like Aquila's wife, Priscilla, in Acts chapter 18, helped him out. Both Aquila and Priscilla took a man by the name of Apollos to the side and explained to him the way of Yahweh more accurately or more perfectly. They explained doctrinal truth to this man. There are many times when I've needed my wife for certain ministry details and in private conversations she has added beneficial understanding of the Bible. She always pulls through and I'm thankful for her help and her wisdom in Yahweh. For example, we've got the Feast of Tabernacles coming up and I always enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles But I'm very tired at the end because it is a week-long ministry for me. But at the same time, I've often told people that my wife does so much more than I do, but most of what she does is behind the scenes and nobody ever gets to see it. And so people would think, well, Brother Matthew's doing so much. What is Sister Tisha doing? And the reality is she's doing more than I do. But because nobody sees it, nobody knows... But the good thing is, is that Yahweh is not unrighteous to forget our work and labor of love that we show forth to His name and that we serve the saints or minister to the saints. Amen? So, ministry means service. Ministry comes from the Latin word that means service. And in this case, in a theological case, it's service to Yahweh and service to our neighbor. When you serve someone in the role and the position where Yahweh has placed you, you're ministering to them. You do not have to be leading a congregation in song or teaching behind a pulpit to be a minister. My wife and I both are ministers. It's just that we each know the proper positions that Yahweh has given to both male and female. I believe in women teachers. My wife has taught my children so many things in the last almost 21 years that I am not capable to teach as a man because Yahweh did not give me the womanly or wife role. She has nurtured my children. She has cared for my children. And she has been the center tent pole of our home. That is her role. That is how Yahweh designed her. She has taught our daughters, especially by her good works and holy example. I believe in women teachers. The book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 is another very unpopular verse in our society, but it's just as true now as it was in the first century. The Bible says, Paul writes to young Titus, Older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to much wine. They are to teach what is good, so they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, homemakers kind and submissive to their husbands so that the Almighty's message will not be slandered. There you have it. Women have a ministry right here in the Word. The older women are to teach the younger women these holy things. I believe that this was Miriam's ministry back in the days of the Exodus. In the book of Micah, Micah chapter 6 verse 4, Yahweh says to His people Israel, He says this, Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt, redeemed you from the place of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam ahead of you. So Moses, Aaron, and Miriam were of the same family. They were siblings. They were from the Levite mother and father, Jochebed and Amram. Moses was the spearhead of leadership in the nation of Israel. We know that. Yahweh chose him. Aaron was the first high priest of what would become the Aaronic, or we sometimes say the Levitical priesthood. And so Aaron was a priest in a position of leadership. But we have Miriam here, their sister mentioned in the same context by Prophet Micah, by Yahweh, through Prophet Micah. And Miriam was in leadership because she led the women of Israel. Exodus 15 verse 20 says, Then Miriam the prophetess... Aaron's sister took a tambourine in her hand and all the women followed her with tambourines and danced. This is a woman that is well into her 80s, possibly 90s, and she's leading the sisters of Israel in dances with a tambourine. Why? Because the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea had just swallowed up the Egyptians. And she said, I will sing unto Yahweh, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider He hath thrown Into the sea. So Miriam was a leader over the women of Israel. I think that this makes it clear that women are used in the ministry of Yahweh and are permitted to teach the word of Yahweh. But I think that it is equally clear that women are not allowed to be in a leadership position over men. After all, don't forget Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron were the two main leaders in the nation of Israel, both of the male gender. Male headship extends from the home into the church. The church is to be led by male elders slash pastors. Elders and pastors in the Bible is the same office. So when I say elder, one use of the word elder in the Bible is an old man. Okay, But there is an office of an elder. If you're familiar with the King James Version, they call it the bishop or the overseer, some Bibles say. Bishop, overseer, elder, and pastor are not four different offices. They're all one and the same offices. It's the main leaders, plural, of a congregation. And they are to be male. And the reason they are to be male is because that is how Yahweh set it up from the very beginning. We'll get to that momentarily. Uh, let's look at what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy two eleven through 14 I've chosen this text because it is another of the writings of Paul. Remember, it was Paul that wrote Galatians 3, verse 28, what we've been talking about. It was Paul that wrote Ephesians 5, through 33 that I detailed last week. And it was Paul that wrote 1 Timothy 2, 11-14, what I'll teach on this week. And I want you to see the other things that this same apostle wrote. And do your best to understand all of them, to believe all of them, and at the same time, to harmonize with diligent research and study prayer and prayer meditation, to harmonize all of what the Apostle Paul says. So the same man that wrote Galatians 3.28, where he said there is no male or female in Christ, I've covered that extensively, he also wrote 1 Timothy 2.11-12, a woman should learn in silence with all submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent." Now, just me quoting that verse would make me lose a popularity contest in 2018. I wouldn't have to state anything of my beliefs, interpretations, opinions, etc. Just get up in front of a group of college students and quote the verse, and I'd be labeled totally unpopular. Get that man off the stage. Who does he think he is? So forth and so on. But I want to point out the obvious here. I did not write 1 Timothy. Timothy. The Apostle Paul wrote, 1 Timothy, about 2,000 years ago. And this text is so clear that it is embarrassing to watch people try to get around it or to explain it away. It is like, I thought of this this week, it is like reading the fifth commandment where it says, Honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you, and that you may live a long life in the land that Yahweh gives you. It's like reading that commandment, and then turning around and trying to explain to somebody why that commandment doesn't really mean to honor your father and your mother. That would be embarrassing. Well, it is embarrassing as I've watched and listened to many theologians this week and also last week try to explain this text away. It's unbelievable the mental gymnastics that they have to go through. So I want to talk about a couple of misinterpretations of this text in this sermon. The first one is, some people argue that Paul is only dealing with married women here because he mentions Adam and Eve in verses 13 through 14. Therefore, male headship applies between a husband and a wife, some people say, but not in the church setting. In the church setting, there's no male nor female in Christ, and so a woman can be a bishop, pastor, elder, and be the leadership teacher in the congregation. Now, I agree that married people are in view here in this text. But I do not believe that the context of 1 Timothy 2 is limited to married people. For example, just a few verses before in verse 8, Paul writes, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Is that just the married men? Is it not proper for a single man to lead a prayer lifting up holy hands? Doesn't Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 7 encourage men and women in being single? Because then a man or a woman can devote their whole life to the Creator in a way that a married person cannot. Remember, the Apostle Paul said, He that is married careth for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. He's not condemning being married. He's just saying that when you get married, whether you're a male or a female, you have to consider your spouse you have to live also for your spouse not first Yahweh comes first but your spouse should come second but Paul encourages being single Paul himself when he wrote that was single our messiah was single would our messiah or the apostle Paul be forbidden to lead a prayer lifting up holy hands i don't think so i don't think so being single is not being less of the believer not at all. As a matter of fact, in some cases, it could actually be more of a believer if the devotion is strictly to Yahweh. What about verse 9 where Paul says, Also the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing. Is that only the married women? No. Do the single women get to dress immodestly? No. No. Are the single women exempt from showing good works? As it says in verse 10, women should show forth good works, be adorned that way. Is that just married women? I don't think so. I think it's all women. There is nothing in the context that teaches this is only for married women. This command is for all women. All women are to dress modestly, bear forth good works, and not teach or have authority over men. Furthermore, The entire context of 1 Timothy is not primarily the home. It is rather primarily the church. Paul did not write this epistle just to teach how husbands and wives should treat one another. This epistle is understood by theologians across the board to be what's called a pastoral epistle. If you pick up a commentary on 1 Timothy at the Christian bookstore, usually on the cover it will say... Pastoral epistle, 1 Timothy, or it might include 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. They're considered to be pastoral epistles. And the reason why is because Paul is teaching young Timothy how the church should operate, how the church should function. As a matter of fact, in the epistle of 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, Paul writes, I have written so that you will know how people ought to behave in Yahweh's household, which is the church of the living Almighty. Paul is dealing specifically with the functions of the church. And just after his instructions here in 1 Timothy 2, verses 8-15, through when chapter 3 starts, and remember the chapter divisions are added by man, but when chapter 3 starts, Paul gives qualifications for leadership positions in the church for elders slash pastors, same office, and for deacons. One of those qualifications that Paul gives for an elder and a deacon is that both elders and deacons must be the husband of one wife. Now, I've told people before, and I'm not trying to make a joke, but it sounds silly, it would be very difficult for a woman to be a husband. So the context is not just the home in 1 Timothy. That's not the context. The context is church functions. How ought we to behave ourselves in the house of the living Almighty? So that argument just doesn't fly with me. I don't see how 1 Timothy 2, 11-14 is only talking about married women. doesn't make sense to me. I can not accept that argument. I think it's talking about all women. Here is the second argument. This one is a little bit more detailed. We'll take some time on this one. Another common attempt to get around this text is what's called the cultural argument. Some say that Paul's instructions here were just combating the culture of the time. We heard a few say that in the video before. They say that Timothy was instructed on how to run the church at Ephesus. Ephesus is mentioned in 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. And since Ephesus was known for its large female-only cult of the goddess Artemis, Paul told Timothy not to allow these women to bring in false doctrine with their teaching. That is a clever argument, but it is not a good one. For starters, at the end of 1 Timothy 1 in verses 18 through 20, Paul mentions two male false teachers by name, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Yet the presence of these male deceivers doesn't lead Paul to say that all men should now keep silent. Do you catch what I'm saying? If there were women deceivers in the Ephesian church, it does not follow that Paul would tell all the women to be silent because he doesn't want them deceiving anyone. Because there's male deceivers in that area. But Paul doesn't say that means all the men should be silent. If there's somebody deceiving someone, who do you think Paul would tell to be silent? The deceiver. Hymeneus, Alexander, or the women that were still involved with the female cult of the goddess Artemis. So if women were allowed to teach over men and have authority over men, why would he exclude all the women in Ephesus? Certainly there were righteous women there. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice are mentioned as being holy women who taught Timothy when he was a child in the faith. Those were holy women. So it doesn't make sense that Paul was just talking about well we don't want women teaching false doctrine. That's not what Paul says. He doesn't say anything about false doctrine. He just says a woman should learn in silence with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead she is to be silent. That's what the text says. But here's the strongest proof against the cultural argument. This is how we can know for sure that Paul is not arguing based on culture. Paul does not give a local or cultural reason for his instructions. Paul doesn't say, I do not allow a woman to teach over a man because Ephesian culture is dominated by pagan women who worship Artemis. That's not what Paul says. If the text said anything similar to that, it would be easy to see, hey, Paul's instructions here are cultural. He doesn't want these false teachers that are female to bring their false doctrine into the church. But that's not what Paul says. He does not argue from culture. What does Paul argue from in the text? He argues from creation. Look at it again. A woman should learn in silence with full submission. I do not allow a woman a teacher to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. For Adam was created first... Then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. Paul argues from the creation account of male and female. And don't miss, don't miss that Paul goes back to before sin even entered humanity. In Genesis chapter 2, we have the most detail of the creation of male and female. Genesis chapter 1 mentions the creation of male and female. Genesis 5 reiterates the creation of male and female. But if you want the chapter with the most detail, the most points about male and female's creation, you're going to have to read Genesis 2. Genesis 1, 2, and 5 is all talking about the same male and female. There's some people that say that it's not, but I could give you a good sermon on how it is. That's not the point of my sermon. But Genesis 2 is about the same creation as Genesis 1, 26 through 27 and following. And in Genesis 2, at the end, it says that the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. Why no shame? Well, it was because sin had not entered humanity yet. Genesis 2 is pre-fall and thus pre-sin. Genesis 2 is the very good creation of Yahweh And Paul says that the order in creation is the reason for male headship. I've listened to some egalitarian theologians this week and they say, what kind of an argument is that? That man was created first and woman second. That's not a good argument. And I would say unto them at that point, they're no longer arguing with me. They're arguing with Apostle Paul. Because Apostle Paul said, this is the reason. This is the argument. This is why I have ordained that men be in the highest positions of leadership because Adam was created first and then Eve. Now, you see that word first if you have your Bible. You see the word first in verse 13. For Adam was created first. That's the Greek word protos. And it can mean first in order or it can mean first in rank and not necessarily in order. I believe in this context it means both. If you follow along in your Scriptures, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. Now, that's the Greek word protos. Was Paul the very first sinner in order? No. But he calls himself the chief of sinners because after his conversion... The weight of the law pinned him down, and he considered himself the worst or the chiefest first in rank of sinners. So the word first, remember, it can mean first in order or first in rank. I think the context means both in 1 Timothy 2.13. Adam was created first in order, and he was created chief first in rank. Yahweh ordained it to be that way. Nobody else, only Almighty Yahweh. In Genesis 2 verse 7, Yahweh formed man. That's talking about only Adam, the male. From the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. That was the making of the male gender. In verse 15, Yahweh took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work and keep the garden. Still no female. Yahweh gave the man a commandment in verses 16 through 17. Still no Eve. All of this took place before Eve was ever made. And when Yahweh talks about Eve being made, He says, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper to compliment him. Complementarianism. I'll make a helper to compliment him. Genesis 2.18 Adam was not made for Eve. Eve was made for Adam. And Eve was made out of Adam. Most of us know the text in Genesis 2 where Yahweh caused this deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He opened up his side and he pulled out a rib. I personally believe it was an actual rib. The Septuagint calls it a rib. And from that rib, he made a woman, a female, to complement the male or the man. And we know that Adam said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In this Genesis 2 state, prior to sin, Adam was created first in order and rank, not in value and dignity. Catch this. I've labored so hard to to show this in my sermons. Adam was not created with more value than Eve or more dignity than Eve. Eve has just as much value and dignity as Adam, but she does not have the same role and function as Adam. That's where people are getting off on Galatians 3.28, which is talking about value, dignity, and salvation, not about roles and functions. And this is why any time, brothers and sisters, I started off teaching about homosexuality, and then last week I began to teach about the role of husband and wife in the home, and now I'm talking about the role of men and women in the church. This is why any time that a woman attempts to get out of her femaleness that it looks awkward. And this is why any time that a man attempts to get out or away from his maleness, it looks awkward. Why does it look awkward? Because that's not the design of the Almighty. It's not how Yahweh designed this to be. There's masculinity. There's femininity. This is the Bible way. This is Yahweh's teaching. So in Genesis chapter 2, Eve was Adam's helper. And she was in loving submission to him. And Adam was Eve's head, not in an aggressive or domineering way. They worked in harmony together as husband and wife. He was the head, first the chief. Eve was his helper. Loving submission and humble rulership from the man. It was not until after the fall into sin, if you read Genesis chapter 3 that brought about this struggle between male and female, that it still exists today because we're still under the the curse of Genesis 3, where she would have the desire to overturn male authority and the man would have a desire to rule or domineer over that. And that's why it's a lot of times so difficult for men and women to accept the Bible's teaching on complementarianism is because now after the curse, women have a tendency to want to not submit to the rulership of man, and men have a tendency to want to domineer over women. Both of them, I believe, are incorrect. Loving submission, humble leadership is the Bible way. Now, Paul does mention this fall into sin in First Timothy 2 verse 14 when he says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. Now, what does Paul mean here? Did not Adam sin too? Of course Adam sinned. But the serpent went first to Eve and deceived her. Read Genesis chapter 3. Eve then gave some of that fruit to her husband and he ate as well. So it was not Adam who was deceived by the serpent. It was Eve. Now... I do not want any of you men feeling boastful, so let me bring us down for a minute in case you're starting to feel that way. Where was the man when Eve partook of the forbidden tree? Genesis 3, verse 6 says that Adam was with her, he was not protecting her like he should have been. And therefore, even though Eve was deceived, guess who is held responsible? Adam. This is why in Romans 5 verse 12 it does not say that by one woman sin entered the world. It says by one man sin entered the world. Yahweh holds the man responsible because he is the head of his wife. Being the head should not make us boast men. It should make us feel responsibility. The old saying says with much power comes much responsibility by one man sin entered the world. So husbands, again, like I said last week, we are responsible for our wives. You are her protector, you are her provider, and you are there to set her an example of righteousness. You are there, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, to wash her with the water of the Word. Your life that you live should make your wife more holy to Yahweh. Getting puffed up and proud is not what sermons like this should do to the male gender. You should instead feel a weight of responsibility on your shoulders as the head. So, back to my initial point concerning Paul's reason for his instruction. Paul does not give a local, cultural, Ephesian reason. It's not because of culture that Paul gives this instruction. Paul's reason goes back to Genesis So we know that what Paul is teaching and establishing is everlasting because it finds its root in Genesis 2 in the very good creation of Yahweh. It did not just apply to the Ephesians or to Timothy at that time. I believe that this writing from the Apostle Paul shows in 1 Timothy 2 that there still exists male and female roles in Christ. Just because there is no male nor female in Christ does not mean that male and female morph into one gender. No more than a husband and wife becoming one flesh means that they're not two different people in roles and in functions. But yet our Messiah said, they shall no more be twain but one flesh. But that does not mean that a male ceases to be a male and a female ceases to be a female. We must rightly divide and handle the word of truth. Galatians 3:28 can be believed and preached and established and harmonized with 1 Timothy 2:8 through 15 and Ephesians 5:22 through 23. Can a woman minister? Yes. Not only can they, they should serve in the church. Can women teach? Yes. They teach other women, and they're wonderful teachers of children. Should we men listen to the wisdom that holy women offer? Of course. I've learned a lot, not just from talking about the Bible with my wife, but also with the other sisters in this congregation. The Priscilla's, and the Junia's, and the Miriam's. I'm thankful for righteous women. But should a woman be placed in a position in a church where she is actively and openly in the primary charge of teaching and preaching and governing the church? No. And this text in 1 Timothy 2 could not be any plainer. It could not be any clearer. What in the world would the Apostle Paul have to write to make it clearer than this text? The reason for male headship in the home and in the church goes all the way back to Yahweh's decision in the Garden of Eden. Yahweh made man first in order and chief. Yahweh gave man duties and commandments. And then He made a woman from the man and for the man. So arguing with male headship and leadership is arguing with Yahweh. I don't believe that it's any coincidence, brothers and sisters. I thought about this today. I don't believe there's any coincidence that the very first churches to ordain women as elders are the very first churches to allow homosexual practice in the church. They go hand in hand. If you study complementarian churches, you will not see that homosexuality is allowed or promoted. Yahweh forbid. But in egalitarian churches where women lead, have the lead role, you find not only sometimes is homosexuality allowed, sometimes you find that it's even promoted and acted like there's absolutely nothing wrong with it at all. Why is that? This is why. Why? Because when you place a woman in that particular leadership position, you erase more and more of the difference between male and female. The more that you erase the difference between the genders, the more that the genders do not matter anymore in marriage. Let Yahweh be true and every man a liar. Let Yahweh humble our hearts to accept what He said in His His Scriptures. It is not our job to decide what is right and wrong. That is Yahweh's job. It's our job to decide whether or not we are going to submit to Yahweh's authority. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Father Yahweh, I thank You and I praise You. Thank You for another Sabbath. Thank You for giving me the strength to bring forth Your Word. Yahweh, I understand, especially in our culture, this is not a very popular sermon. And I try to teach it in as much love as possible. Uh, But at the same time, I want to be firm. And Yahweh, help me always to be firm in what Your Word teaches. Father, I pray that You would build up both the men and the women in this church. Father, I pray that we would use our gifts and our talents to help the church. And Yahweh that us men would not look down upon any of the women. And that the women would not look down upon any of us men. But we would recognize our complementary roles, Yahweh. That's my prayer. That we would all recognize our complementary roles. Recognize that we're all better than each other at something. And we would grow those talents. We would grow those gifts and they would turn into beautiful trees that bore forth much fruit. Yahweh Father, help us to believe Your Word. Help me, Yahweh Father, in all things to believe. I pray all these things through Your Son, Yeshua. Amen.